This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Wick Live. I am Dan Selke, the editor at WinnersComing.net. I am here with Cheryl Wassenaar, an editor at Culturist.com. Hey, Dan. And as we do every week, we are here to talk about all things Game of Thrones and A Song of Ice and Fire. Hey to everybody who's watching. Hey, uh, Corey Thone. Hey, Helen. Jack. Marsha. Diane. Everybody, thanks for coming here. And today we are fortunate because we had something happen that very rarely happens these days, Cheryl. Do tell, Dan. George R. R. Martin, author of A Song of Ice and Fire, he, he's not a J.D. Salinger-level recluse or anything, but he does not give a lot of public appearances anymore because he's, you know, busy working on the winds of winter, we assume. But mm-hmm. Worldcon is coming up, the World Science Fiction Convention. It's a, he has a, an old place in his heart. He always goes to it. He always attends. And yesterday, he gave an onstage interview to a man whose name will mispronounce, a John, a, an artist, just say that, I don't say his name because I don't remember what it was. And he had to do a question and answer session with the audience, and he talked for at some length about A Song of Ice and Fire, about Game of Thrones, about just where it fits in in the greater fantasy canon, about being a writer. Just, it, it's rare to get this much from Mr. Martin. Some of his comments about uh, HBO's Game of Thrones, about his own work, were pretty interesting, I think, worth discussing. Did you look, did you see any of it happen? Uh, I did not see any of it happen. I'm glad I'm sitting down for this. <laughs> you gave me all this news in one kind of shot here, and I'm very glad Damn. that I've got the arms to clutch to, because George R. R. Martin said things in public. What? And if you stood, you were knocked over the microphone. Well, yeah, that too. Um, we don't have the equipment for me to do standing sessions. Uh, but yet. we'll get there. But we'll get there eventually. Uh, I did look over some of the comments, um, and I am intrigued okay. by the things he said, because he, he has always been a writer that has opinions, and so it doesn't shock me that he still has opinions. No, It's just fascinating to see what his opinions are. I know you've got the highlights, Dan. It's so. also cool, because he's a writer who has always had opinions, but he's always, he's, like, until... You know, not that long ago in the span of his life, he wasn't that famous. So he could, like, say whatever he wants, and it's like, it's not going to cause too much ruffles. But now, I think part of the reason he doesn't talk much anymore is because he knows if he says something now, (laughs) then places like Wick are going to pick it up and talk about (laughs) it. And he's going to get a lot of either, like, reaction, either pushback or praise or whatever. So it's... Yeah. I I don't say that up front. I I don't want to criticize George R. R. Martin. He's in a... He's in a... He's in a position... Anyway, 
Sometimes he said, talked about uh, Song of Ice and Fire. He said some very interesting things. For example, I think this probably is the first time he was asked straight up, like, are the remaining books in your series, The Winds of Winter and A Dream of Spring, going to be like what we've seen on Game of Thrones, the show, recently? Like, are they going to be a draft for what you're doing? And he basically said, no. Like, my books are not going to be the same, which we've always kind of known, but it's good to have just like that specificity. Mm. He even said that characters who have died in the, in the, on the show are going to never die in the books. Not just survive past that. They will never die. He said that the show has been a lot more bloodthirsty than he has, which is interesting. <laughs> but why? why? Why do you laugh? Seems like kind of a lie. Like, uh, the show learned its bloodthirstiness from the source material. It did, I but mean, it has it has ticked it up. Yes. Like, it already has killed folk that haven't died in the page yet. Like, Barristan Selmy's a famous one. Right. He's still alive, and it's about the same about at the same point. He died even earlier than he does in the in the uh, the books. Mm-hmm. Pip and Gren, Jon Snow's little bosom buddies at the wall, they both died in the show. They're mm-hmm. alive in the books. Who do you think has died in the show that might end up living through the whole shebang? Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna gamble and say the Sand Snakes. Really? Yeah. And oh, any particular reason? Say anything one. Uh, because I want them to live because they they need justice <laughs> for what happened to them in the show. Um, I love that one. Okay. But beyond that, Dorn has been a lot more important in the books than it is in the show. Like sure. the the Dornish uh, subplots in the show have been kind of mishandled, I think would be a nice word for it. I think that's pretty well accepted. Yeah. It's kind of controversial to say. Yeah, it's not It's not a hot take to say that they've been mishandled. Yeah. It's, it, the hot take is the Sand Snakes living. Um, that is a hot take. I, I think that the women of Dorne are going to have a better, uh, they're going to fare better in the books than they have in the show. Um, I don't know if that's necessarily a good thing or a bad thing. But it's a thing, nevertheless. Like that is that is my kind of gut check. Sure. I think these these characters will be treated differently. What about you, Dan? Who do you have money on to First, live? That, that, that's interesting that you would say that. I mean, this is this is a bit of a hot take too, kind of different discussion. But I have the opinion that the Dornish characters are almost as dumb a useless on the books as they are on the show. I don't, I'm not a big fan of them in the books either. But they're bad in different ways. But it's a different sort of discussion. It'd be yeah. interesting, though. I mean, if he can turn them into great characters in the Winds of Winter, more power to you. <laughs> Bring on interesting sand snakes. What we got so far, though, frankly, I thought they were pretty bland. Yeah, I mean, they're not great in the books. And I agree that the characters in Dorne are not smart uh, in the books either. Um, it's just kind of a diversion. I'd rather not... Yeah. But, 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 but let's not talk about that no. right now. Okay. That's, that's for another show. <laughs> it's a whole can of snakes and worms. <laughs> Too many I, slithery things. When I first heard that, when he said that some characters who died in the books will never die, who rather who have died in the show will never die in the books, mm-hmm. my first thought went to the Tyrells, like Marjorie and Loras, mm. and that whole family. Mm. I'm not convinced we'll get the Sept explosion in the books. I think that might be an invention for the show. I could see that. I mean, I think that it's not impossible that Cersei will find a way to kind of oh, sure. murder the Tyrells. Try. But yeah, I don't know if it's going to be quite as cinematic in the books. I think that might be something that, I don't, I don't want to say it was an invention for the show, but I think mm-hmm. it was kind of dolled, it could have been dolled up for the show, sure. if you will. 
The reason I say is because just the, based on the way the, the creators talk about it. Mm-hmm. Like, when they talk about things like Shireen dying, getting burned at the stake, they say straight up, like, when George R. R. Martin told us about this, we were like, what? <laughs> or like, Hodor's death. When they're like, when George R. R. Martin told us about this, we were like, oh my god, that's intense. When they talk about the Sep explosion, they were like, we wanted to do something that we kind of had the pieces for, and we needed a big finish. It makes me think maybe that is a show invention, and a great show invention, by the way, if that is the case. And uh, I always did love the Tyrells, so if they could manage, especially Marjorie, so if they managed to stick it out and survive the whole book series, I'd be pretty pleased. I, you know, I don't... Uh, <laughs> I just want Elena to get her tell Cersei I know it was me. Another great on the, bit, yeah. On, on the page as well. So I think it's possible that the Tyrells kind of have the same fates, but not exactly the same. If you will. Oh no! I Maybe can, they can I just can capture it. Elena or something. At the end of the day, we, it's very hard to know how much the books will actually mirror the show, and mm-hmm. we'll only know when and if the Winter Winter ever comes out. We have some comments here. People saying, "All right, uh, what are they saying?" Some pessimism uh, <laughs> from at least one person. Uh, we won't, uh, Laura. You won't ever get the books. So what else do we have? It's possible. I think we'll get the next book. I'm not 100 percent convinced in the last one. <laughs> Oh, Lisa asks, is reading the books confusing after watching the TV show? That's a good question. A little bit. Did you watch the show first or go to the books first? No, I read the books first. Okay. Uh, at least the first couple books first. I gotcha. Well, Lisa, I did watch the show and then I read the books and I didn't have any problem with it at all. No. Um, yeah, I, 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 I think it's confusing. I definitely, like, I definitely read the, uh, the tie-in, like the show tie-in version of Game of Thrones first, but... I read at least the first couple books before I saw the show. So, right. um, no, it's not really confusing. Um, it's not confusing, Lisa. No, not really confusing. In your head. You, can, you can do it. We believe in you. And Ephraim asks, is there a way you can see the interview with J.R.M. and you guys are talking about? Um, I recommend going to winneriscoming.net. We have written it up. It, it, it was on a stage. It, was a, it wasn't a written interview. It was something he you know, talked on a stage. Mm-hmm. So there's some video of it. But mostly it's just through eyewitness accounts that we've collected. All right. Uh, let's move on to, uh, speaking of the Winds of Winter, of yes. course he addressed it a bit. He had to. If you're talking to George R. R. Martin and he's giving you carte blanche to ask him about A Song of Ice and Fire, you're going to ask, how's the Winds of Winter coming, George? <laughs> and I mean, nothing new. He just said, uh, I'm working on it. Let's see. Uh, working on it. Believe me, you'll know when it's done. It will be the shot that's heard around the world. So, okay, keep working on it. End of story. Yeah. Um, something else interesting he said was that he figured that he was going to have more time to finish Winds of Winter. He did not think, he thought he would have like two more years before the show caught up to him. Which I think he's implying that he figured that HBO would take longer to adapt A Feast for Crows and A Dance with Dragons. Books, they kind of collapsed into season five, little scatterings elsewhere. Let me ask you a question for this. Here's a two-parter. Oh, boy. They're related. Okay, that helps. Was George R. R. Martin fooling himself when he assumed that HBO would take two or even more seasons to adapt those two books? And did HBO make the right call in culling a lot of that material? Because as we know, I mean, the show adapted the books reasonably faithfully for the first four or so seasons and then 
a lot started to get cut. And it was right around when they got to Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons. I'm going to go with a double hot take here. Well, okay. Uh, okay. Take, hot take and a half, I think. Um, a, yes, he was fooling himself. Mm-hmm. B, yes, HBO made the right call. And I will expand further on both of these points. I agree with you on both points. Oh, okay, good. Maybe not quite as hot of a take as I thought. But do you, dear viewers? Yes, do tell us. Um, so, yes, Martin was fooling himself. Feast with the Feast with for Crows and Dance with Dragons take place at the same, effectively at the same time. Right. And if you read the books, a lot of them they they're a little fillery, a little I mean, fillery. It's 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 it's. Rough to say, but yeah, yeah I, I, I totally see where you're coming from. They're a little fillery. And so it, it does make sense that HBO would kind of look at these two books that take place at the same, roughly in the same timeline, mm-hmm. and say, we can condense this into one season. Because, you know, a little bit of filler. Um, and honestly, not interesting filler. Um, like it's, yeah, for those of you who are starting to read the books, like the first three are great. And then Feast for Crows and Dance with Dragons can be a little disappointing. I, I, um, I think a distinction I'll make is that I, I don't think George R. R. Martin would see any of it as filler. And I well, think that, yeah. that there's a good argument that it's, that it's, you could look at it as just intense world building and deep dive character building. And I think it is, it's just maybe uh, a little unjudicious in the yeah. way it's structured and streamlined, or the way that it's not streamlined or structured. Uh, yes, I think that's fair to say. Uh, and when I say filler, I don't mean that it's not interesting reading mm-hmm. or anything like that. It's just... It, it, it is it is well-written. It is interesting reading. It's but. just very kind of different, like even tonally and, as you said, structurally, from the first three books. So it's a little hard to kind of find that interesting and in the same sense like intense world building and intense character building doesn't make good tv yes exactly um not in the same way like not in the same way yes you can have it right but you know tv is a bit of a more propulsive medium and uh you want a plot that moves and again i I, i've often said this i'm a little it's it's kind of too bad that we don't have a a big book defender on the show i will try (laughs) to get one if anyone wants to come on the show and talk about the books and defend them to the hilt feel free. <laughs> I've always said that the first three books, you know, they have world building, character building, and plot momentum. And then this, the last two kind of, they have the first two things that kind of drop the plot momentum. Yeah. They kind of, I think, you know, Martin has kind of talked before about how he was writing what was Feast at the time and then said, this is getting too big. I need to make it another, split it. Right. And I mean... On some level, splitting it was the right decision because otherwise we would have had like a sixteen hundred page tome or something like that. Like, but, but on the, the other, other right decision would have been, been let's chop out some stuff I don't need. Editing, editing, editing would be so great. Yeah. So, so I agree with you that HBO made the right call in cutting it down. Mm-hmm. Now I, I I can and do quibble with what they chose to cut and how they chose to cut it. I think they could have made some more intelligent cuts. <laughs> yes. But cutting it down, it was always going to get cut down. One way or another, it's just a matter of uh, how you do the cuts mm-hmm. correctly. It is a little sad. Do you think that at, at the end of the day, we're not really going to have a perfect version either way, either the books or the show? As much as I love them both, and I do, we're here, you know. <laughs> we are on this show. 
the one's going to be a little too long-winded and the one's other's going to be a little too curtailed. Mm-hmm. I mean, I don't think there's ever really a perfect story That's anyway. true. That's true. So I, I just don't get my hopes up with anything anymore. That way I'm less disappointed when things don't turn out as well. <laughs> All right. That's Cheryl Wassenaar's way of doing this. Just lower your expectations and everything will be pretty good. Pessimism. It's great. It serves me well. Any other thoughts, Cheryl, you have before we bring on Josh uh, Hill to talk about A Song of Ice and Fire in detail? Uh, yeah, he gets to talk about it in detail. Um, no, I mean, are there any interesting comments that we need to oh, of always. discuss? Here we go. How about this? Dan Turton has a pretty long comment. If you read A Feast for Crows, Dance with Dragons in chronological order, preferably on a Kindle, they are great. I found a list on Reddit for what order to read them in. It's very, very good, which is true. Um, I... When I read through them last, I read through, I think it was called uh, A Feast with Dragons, something like that, mm-hmm. or Dance with Crows. I honestly forget. But yeah, it, 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 it is a different experience. I think we'll do that when we get to that in A Song of Dan and Josh. Mm-hmm. So yeah, there are ways around it. It's just so unusual. I mean, yeah. to split a book into two parallel times, different location story. I can't think of any other example of that happening. Yeah, I can't really, I mean, there are stories that will do multiple timelines, Mm -hmm. um, but not quite in the same kind of contemporaneous way. Here's the fourth and fifth volumes of a five-volume series, and now we're going to start splitting it up. Right. It's, yeah, it's a little weird in when the split happens and how the split is handled. And I want to qualify, I, I, I did read them. You know, back and forth, but they, it's still slow going. Like it's still yeah. very built up. But you know what? Let's talk about it in a little more detail on a segment of the show we like to call "A Song of Dan and Josh." Each week, thank you, Cheryl. You're wonderful. You're beautiful. Uh, <laughs> thank goodbye. You, Where each week, Josh Hill and I, fan editor Josh Hill, go over a chapter or two from "A Song of Ice and Fire." I've read the books multiple times. Josh has never read the books. We're going through it bit by bit, breaking it down, see what makes it work, makes it doesn't work. We're still on a Game of Thrones, the first book in the series. Getting toward the end, though. Yeah. And today we read Tyrion 8, <laughs> yes. a pretty crucial chapter because yes. there is fight, fight, fight. There is. Um, I Basically, the, the chapter boils down to Tyrion goes into battle. Mm-hmm. Tywin pretty much expects him to die. He yep. doesn't die. And that's not surprising to me because... Well, Tyr- Tyrion's entire well, the, he's he's around, but also because Tyrion's entire character seems to be Tywin wishes he was dead, and here Tyrion is. So this whole scenario of Tywin not really concocting the battle because mm-hmm. the battle is needed because Tywin wants to he, he's got his thing with the Starks, but within this he's kind of like ooh I can kill two birds with one stone I can win this battle and also get rid of my imp son so didn't happen. But. Can you imagine? Like, it's that part at the, toward the end of the chapter mm-hmm. when the battle's been won, yeah. the Lannisters win, uh, Tyrion impales a horse with a giant <laughs> spike on his helmet, yeah. uh, and he, he talks to his father, and his, mm-hmm. Tywin's basically like, yeah, I thought you'd die, yep. but, you know, we didn't, we won. Like, just the, the shamelessness and just the, the openness of it. Mm-hmm. Like, your father is admitting he thought you'd probably die, and he would have been okay with that. Like, I'm not sure we can underline thoroughly enough how deep Tyrion's daddy issues go when you have a father like that who is openly contemptuous of you being alive. Yeah, right. And might even plan for your death. <laughs> and then you have to, like, go after 
up to him after the battle and say, we won. Orders, please, Father. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's got to be hard it, on Tyrion. It, it does. Speaking of hard, I forgot to say hi to everybody. Hello, yes, everybody. Yes, you better say hi. Julie and Julie. Renee right? says hi. Julie Renee. says hi. Yes. Who else we? <laughs> Michael Douglas here? I don't think you're your favorite <laughs> Michael Douglas. Um, yeah, it was just weird, but also fitting because Tywin's, Tywin's a bastard. Like, he is just a cold man. And it, it doesn't surprise me that he would basically have to deal with this scenario with, with Tyrion afterwards and just be like, I thought you were going to die. Like, but, like, let's move on. Yeah. This is as usual. And, and Tyrion has to swallow that. Mm hmm let's go back a little further. So this chapter, it, it, it's the first battle scene of the series. It yes. also introduces us to some new characters. Mm -hmm. So the first part is Tyrion is talking at the end of the grand table with uh, his father and his father's retainers and advisors and everything. They're planning for the battle. Mm -hmm. And, you know, true to Tyrion, Tywin's like, we're going to put you in the vanguard, which is the, like the, the first wave mm -hmm. of um, combatant soldiers, medieval terminology. Yeah. And he's like, what? I'm going to die. And he's like, fine, you'd rather be in back? Like, no, I'll be in the bank and I'll do it, I'll do it, I'll do it. Which is another, it's another little quirk of his daddy issues. Yep. Like, he could have gotten out of it. He wants to prove himself. He does. Like, yeah. he hates his father, but he wants to prove himself anyway. Mm -hmm. It's bad. It's, it's classic. really bad. That's classic daddy issues. There, I guess it is. With all these issues. characters that we've seen have to deal with it over the years in movies and TV and books. It's like, I hate my dad, but I want his, all I want him to do is hug me and tell me that I, he loves me one time. And this is textbook that. Like, it really is. He's like, and I'm not going to go into the back because I'm going to be up front. And if I die, then I'm going to be dying trying to honor my father who wishes it, I was never born. it took a word from Tywin to get him to say that. Mm -hmm. Like, it's, it's just, like, Tyrion's supposed to be a really intelligent character, but his father can, like, just pull a tiny string yeah. and he jumps. Mm -hmm. It's almost sad. Anyway, he goes back to his tent, and we meet two characters that we know very well. We'll see for a while. We got Podrick Payne, yep. who is uh, Tyrion's new squire. He just gets a single line here, but it was a pretty good line. Tyrion was like uh, the lad with a distant relation to Sir Illyn Payne, mm -hmm. who you might remember had his tongue cut out by the Mad King, and almost as quiet. Mm -hmm. So he's just kind of a shy, reclusive guy. But, you know, we know he'll grow into something else. And more importantly, or at least more prominently, he meets Shay, mm -hmm. the mysterious prostitute from Parts Unknown. Yes. What was your impression of Shay first time? Um, well, I remember her from the show. Sure. So I, I, I recalled the character. I was like, ooh, this is important. Let's, yeah. let's put this in the back yeah, of my mind. Yeah, she'll, she'll play a pretty big role. Yeah. And so my impression, I, I, I didn't really have a fresh impression because the impression was, oh, I remember this from the show. This is going to be, right. I'm going to have to stow this away. This is going to be important. But I was yeah, interested right, yeah. that, because I'd forgotten about her. And then here was her introduction. I was like, oh, that's right. Because at this point in the book, we've met so many characters. And as much as, right. as, much so as a reference to the TV show as being like, oh, I remember it from this. This was a thing where I had forgotten about this character up until now. So it was kind of like an aha moment. where I guess it's a good point. I mean, because... She hasn't come off as someone that's going to be important, mm -hmm. and there's no reason to think she no. will be. I, I guess I'm looking at this from like a, a retrospective perspective, yeah. where I'm like, I know, I'm looking at what she does because I know exactly. she's going to be important. I liked her though; like they gave her funny lines, like that, hearing just that thing where like, uh, I'm Tyrion Lannister. Men call me the Imp, and mm -hmm. she's like, I am Shay. Men call me often. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, she's funny. Yeah, she, she's well. Clever. That's the point too, because Tyrion's supposed to be falling in love with her. Like Tyrion's supposed to be having like a connection. Right. So I, I did and like they're that. both wits. Yeah. Which makes sense. And I appreciated that the way that it was written by Martin mm -hmm. where it's I if I wouldn't have been reading this knowing that she was going to become an important character, 
I would have still picked up on, oh, there's something here. There's clearly... But there's an actual spark. Yeah, there's supposed to be chemistry. I'm supposed to be understanding the chemistry here. So that, to me, it was... I, I picked up on that, regardless of knowing about the show. Cool. But the other part of the relationship is, okay, so there's chemistry, there's a spark. She is a prostitute. <laughs> yeah. She is buying her. Yep. Braun literally stole her from some other dude and mm -hmm. was like, here. Yep. And they have this, Tyrion has this talk to her where he's like, okay, here's how it's going to work. Mm -hmm. I don't want you to see anybody else. I want you to massage me, talk to me, have sex with me. Mm -hmm. He's he's buying a friend and he's buying a lover. And mm -hmm. Shay's like, okay, cool. Let's do it now. Yeah. It's, again, it's kind of like Tywin, like the honesty of how transactional this is. Yeah. Was it surprising at all? A little bit. But Tyrion is written differently in the book than he was on the show. So, so. It, it didn't surprise me because we've seen kind of, or read, Tyrion being a little colder than you remember colder, him yeah. on the show. So there is more, there's, there's more to that I read in the book than the kind of wittiness and the, the more likable yeah, character that Peter Dinklage is on the, one -liner, on the show. One-liner, tongue. He has all that. Yeah, but so, he's... and then it also... It, reiterates to me the dynamic like you mentioned with Tywin like mm -hmm. there is that daddy issue thing there is the I want to be like my father even though I don't want to be like my father it's just the natural that's my heritage so that to me came off well as far as him talking to her so transactionally but for sure and there's also the aspect I mean the the the, the big point to me was toward the end uh, of, of their talk yeah when he gets up the horses are coming the enemy's upon them and he turns to her and says, if I die, weep for me, mm -hmm. which is ridiculous in a way because they met last night and he bought her. <laughs> I mean, this isn't, they, they don't have a connection. No, but he wants to be loved though. That's the, that's thing. the thing. That's He's his so story. Needy. Yeah. He just needs to be loved. He can just buy it and be like, yes, this will be my legacy. There's will be somebody crying for me if I fall in battle gallantly. It's like, no, not really. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm not sure that we think of Tyrion as a needy character, but no. he really is. Yeah. And it, it, we get a great glimpse of it here because we got, I think it goes back to the father stuff. Like mm -hmm. he's needy because of his daddy oh, won't yeah. love him, which you say is the oldest story in the book. Mm -hmm. And we got it here. Yep. All right. Before we go, we got to hit the battle itself. The battle. So this is the first large scale battle scene mm -hmm. in the book series. Do you remember how they adapted this on the show? I don't know. Okay. It's a funny bit. So it's season one. Uh -huh. They have like $11. <laughs> um, the way they have on the show is Tyrion goes out, gets in the battle knocked on the head, knocked out, and then they fade out, fade back in after it's over. Oh, clever. They do the classic, uh, we're just going to shoot this battle by not shooting at all because we do not have the money. That actually reminds me in Batman and Robin. They do the same thing. So Batman is chasing Mr. Freeze and there, like jumps across a building. It looks okay. like it's going to be this huge thing. And Mr. Freeze and Arnold Schwarzenegger is like, oh, I got you, or whatever. And then Batman just comes across in the Batmobile and drops his cape over the windshield. And then it's a jump cut to Batman then whipping the cape away. And Mr. Freeze <laughs> is on the ground arrested. And I was like, what the hell? Like, come on. You just totally cut. Like, that's when you know that's the part of the production they ran out of money. Sure. And that reminds me here, Game of Thrones. Now you've got Battle of the Bastards and, you know, the, the big siege at the wall. Oh, yeah. Now money is not a problem. Now, you yeah, can but do you, whatever you think you back to this and it's like they have to do these little, like, almost shady things to mm -hmm. be like, yes, don't look at the man behind the curtain. Let's just keep moving on with the story. So, how long have you been holding out of that Batman and Robin complaint? It comes up a lot more than <laughs> you would think it does. It reminds me of what happens in The Hobbit, mm. which is uh, Bilbo, the Battle of Five Armies. He goes out. It's going to be epic. Knocked on the head with a, a rock, knocks mm. out. 
And then in the damn movies, they make it into a full movie of a battle, yeah. which I did not like. And it happened in reverse in Game of Thrones. So what about the battle itself? How did you find the way Martin writes war? I mean, the battle itself it reminded me a little bit of the chapter with... <laughs> oh, by the way, Dan Turton, terrible movie, Josh. Why remind us of this? It is a terrible movie, and I want everybody to share in I my like shame it, but... of this. It's a weird rewatchable, but maybe mm-hmm. we talked about it in another episode. But it rem- this chapter reminded me of the chapter with Jamie and Ned, and when Ned has to fight. Yeah, so okay. and we've, we've had battle-ish mm-hmm. things before from George R. R. Martin, but the full-scale war to me... I, I found it really engaging. Like it's, it's yeah, the way good. that he writes it. It's, it's very engaging and it's not, I, I don't know. We talk about how he can kind of describe a Cape and overly describe a Cape. It feels like he's very punchy and he really gets his points across when he's writing the battles, which is a point where I would think maybe he gets a little more flamboyant with it and wants to really get into the details and the swings of the swords and all these types of things. Sure. It's very, it was. Cut and, cut and yeah, dry. It, it the way that battle is. And I feel that that's the way, oh, from what I can assume. And that's what I, I got across. From, battle, that's what I like got across from. We have foam swords. Right. That's what I got across from Martin. It's, it's very no, I agree cut and dry because battle, there's not much more to it than fighting death, trying to survive. As a writer, if you lingered on, like, I don't know, a sword in the middle of battle mm-hmm. for a page, it almost would feel weird because yeah. that's not the reality of it's going to happen very, very quickly. There's no romanticizing it. Let me read a little bit of uh, his battle prose. This is a Tyrion going into battle after he tries to lead his clansmen into battle and then they like ride ahead of him. Mm-hmm. He's very big on the chaos of it. Uh, he glimpsed Timot, son of Timot, vault free of his, as his mount died under him in full stride. Saw a moon brother impaled on a Karstark spear, watched Khan's horse shatter a man's ribs with a kick. A flight of arrows descended on them. Where they came from he could not say, but they fell on Stark and Lannister alike, rattling off armor or finding flesh. So it's just kind of like a like a cacophony, yeah. a tumult, like there are arrows. Mm-hmm. I don't know if they're hitting you or your friends. I don't know who your friends are. Mm. It's very chaotic. It's very claustrophobic the way it reads. Yeah. It's like, you know, because that, that gets the point across. It does. And actually, that bit about the arrows just kind of raining on everybody, there's a direct shot like that in the Battle of the Bastards. Mm. And I, the creators have said that oh, they, yeah, use, right. they use, like, Jon Snow, just mm-hmm. like arrows. Just like, yeah, blah, blah. that's right. They use this battle as inspiration for Battle of the Bastards. The Battle of the Bastards was, we have the money to do this now. We can actually <laughs> do this right. Right. And I think they pulled that off because yeah. that battle's pretty famous. Um, there, there were some parts of the battle that I did not remember that almost seemed like goofy. Mm-hmm. Like the way, like excessive, like the way Tyrion's horse bites the cheek out of the one guy oh, he's yeah. fighting. Ugh. And then Tyrion is wearing this great helm that like obscures your entire face <laughs> the helmet with a yeah. foot long spike on top mm-hmm. of it yeah and he uses the <laughs> spike to just impale <laughs> a horse it's like the uh they do not have those on the show they they we, don't we, we lose the great helms it's like the uh you know it's only a flesh wound guy from monty python it is. <laughs> it's exactly what it is and i just was picturing Tyrion, like short little Tyrion, like wearing this helmet and i was picturing it like, being <laughs> too like, big for him oh totally <laughs> it's like it, it, it's a great it's image. a very comical comical image that I think they probably did a good thing not including that in the show. But. I mean, to impale a horse with a spike on your head, that, would, that, that, that that's a straight-up Monty Python kind of... I don't know how that could possibly look cool on TV. No, that's... It's, I think that's when Game of Thrones jumps the shark, so... <laughs> but I mean, it job. happened in the books. Be faithful. There you go. All right, any other thoughts, Josh, on mm-hmm. uh, Tyrion 
eight, the first battle. No, we're running and out of real estate, so. We are. But we're going to slow down a little bit. Mm -hmm. Next week, we'll only read one other chapter. I believe it's the next Catlin chapter, mm. which will bring us a battle of a very different kind. <laughs> and we'll see you there. I know we got through this a little quickly. We'll slow down a little bit uh, in the future. We kind of had a grip to go for this one. We'll see you back here next Wednesday, 4 p.m., Super Standard Time on the Winter's Queen Facebook page for more Game of Thrones news, more Song of Ice and Fire discussion, and more interaction with you beautiful people. Thanks for watching, and we'll see you next week. ones who know safety isn't a catchphrase it's a culture and the ones who help make sure everyone makes it home safe for the safety minded who watch everyone's backs granger offers supplies and solutions for every industry as well as safety assessments and training to keep your facilities safe and your people safer call clickgranger.com or just stop by granger for the ones who get it done when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.